When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yes, yes, welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside the great executive producer, John Seymour. We are in the homeloanexpert.com studios. If you are in the market for a new home. If you are in the market to refinance, Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert, says there's no better time to do it than at the end of the year. Home values are up, and that's an opportunity for you to save money, whether it be by buying, whether it be by refinancing. Ryan Kelly is the person to go to online at thehomeloanexpert.com. My family's done business with him. My co-hosts have done business with him. And we can wholeheartedly recommend him to you. He makes the podcast possible online at thehomeloanexpert.com, the sponsor of the studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. It's another edition of questions from the audience on the Inside STL Podcast Network. And uh, once again, the great Plowboy and Iggy uh, join me here in the homeloanexpert.com studios. Uh, Gentlemen, hello again, everybody. Well, hello again. Afternoon, Timothy. I'm looking forward to this one because the audience really ratcheted their games up with questions last week, and it led to some good answers. And uh, we have a bunch here uh, once again for uh, this edition of Questions from the Audience, where uh, which is really getting a lot of uh, downloads. And we'll start with this one. Uh, best Christmas gift you've ever received and best Christmas gift you've ever given. Iggy, you said you wanted this one. You yeah, because mine's kind of a feel-good story. People think I'm a prick. But actually, I have feelings. Um, I will correct no. one thing because I like to be honest with the listeners. And I, we don't see these questions. They're kind of like when you throw them to us, they're off the top of That's our right. head. St- straight improv. But and you think, obviously had seen at least the topic, I guess. And I think a couple of, was it the last one or the one before asked uh, first interview you ever did? And I went back and thought about it after I said it was either um, Stevie Nicks or it was the uh, figure skating chick. <laughs> she does the show with uh, Johnny Weir. Yeah, I know who you're Yamaguchi? talking about, but I can't think of... Uh, no, the, the name's off the top of my head. Tara Lipinski. Uh, but I went back and thought about it. I actually used to write an article for the Suburban Journals when I was in my early 20s, and I interviewed Jack Wagner. Jack back, Wagner. Back in, like, 85 for the Suburban Journal, so I have to correct myself. It was Jack Wagner was my first Suburban solo interview. Journal. So I just like to be honest with the uh, listeners. Uh, favorite Christmas present. And it's actually one of my favorite stories. Christmas is always a big time in the Strode family. 
you know, Christmas Eve, relatives would come over, aunts, uncles, cousins, um, almost made out with a cousin one time. I didn't know she was my cousin. We have so many wow, of them. Wow, I feel like that needs to be tended to right now. That's so No, I was just hot and, and you so just saying, Bob saying it's just so hot. I don't know what is creepier. <laughs> <laughs> that I almost made out with a cousin or Plowsy likes it. Uh, no, I mean, I have so many cousins and uh, just met her one time and actually I did make out with her. We were going to go further until we started talking about our families and I realized she was a second cousin. Mm. Um, but anyway, this is, this, um, is the, again, this is an answer again to the Christmas so gift question. <laughs> that was my favorite present, my cousin. Um, no, but it, it's the Strode family. It's always a big Christmas. Christmas is a very big holiday for us. And we love to shop. My mom loved to shop and I would always go with her and she would shop like nine, 10 times before Christmas. And one of the times it's always the Strode Christmas. My dad, my mom, brothers, sisters, we all go together. And then we stop at the pasta house. This is in Crestwood Plaza was still had stores there. And every time we'd go throughout the entire season, I always stopped by PetSmart. I fell in love with this, this Basset hound. And they'd all be walking around, where's Ziggy, where's Ziggy? Oh, he's just looking at that dog again. And they go in and I'd be holding this Basset hound. And finally, like the sixth time shopping, mom goes, I don't know why you keep looking at it. You're not getting a dog for Christmas. So sure enough, Christmas, everybody would open their presents and my mom and dad opened theirs last and they opened the last one. And okay, that's it. Who's uh, ready for breakfast? And then out of nowhere, my brother walks in. My mom goes, oh, wait, Eddie's, we forgot one present. Eddie's bringing it from downstairs. He walked up with a little dog basket and in that basket was the Basset Hound. Wow. They bought me the Basset Hound. I had no idea. I mean, I had tears coming out of my eyes because they, they went and got the Basset Hound for me. So that was, uh, that's my favorite Christmas ever. Cause I had no clue I was getting it. They kept saying, you're not getting the dog. So quit looking at it. You're just going to hurt yourself. You're going to fall in love with this dog and you're not getting it. And sure enough, but we were all ready to get up and start eating, making breakfast. And here he comes with this dog. Cutest, cutest little puppy ever. So that's <laughs> my, that. my favorite Christmas story. Plowhawk, what do you have? Oh, Christmas well, in Canton, they call it. <laughs> Christmas in Canton. Let me tell you, the smells are not like holidays at all. Meth labs and uh, burning wood. But uh, I, I have to say, for me, the best Christmas gift I got was my first ever two-wheel bike. It was a mongoose. I had a mongoose, too. It mongoose was, decade, chrome, baby, with I, pegs. I forgot. it For the life of me, I... I, chameleon or something like that. I think it was the mongoose chameleon. And I got this baby and I had, I've ridden a two, a two wheeler that whole year waiting for my own, rode my sisters, unwrapped this baby last, got it. It was silver, beautiful, wrecked it the first week, but still had a, you know, like Steve Harvey, still a great night. It was the best Christmas gift because that was the one, something that I wanted the most of. And I think the best gift I got was this Christmas. I can reveal it because my girlfriend knows about it. I bought her a puppy for our little family. And so you're she, adding now you'll have two dogs? I'll have two dogs, yeah. We get her on Tuesday. We've uh, corresponded with the foster and I've met the dog a few times. So she knows she's getting it for Christmas. And to see the face light up when, you know, she goes and sees the puppy is fantastic. So I think that probably the most sentimental and the best gift I've given. So... Maybe not as great of an answer as Ziggy, but those are pretty much uh, what I can remember. Well, there's no bad answer. If it's your favorite present, that's all that matters. The mongoose Might just lasted happened to be a couple a dog years. And yours was a bike. Uh, the best I've given is this year, but since the person has not received it yet, 
I can't say. Um, and the best gift I've ever received uh, was, I suppose it was two days after Christmas last year, but it was when I came home from, uh, I don't know where I suppose work, uh, Anna Marie had a little bag sitting there and I'm like, what is, what is this? And she goes, oh, I forgot to give you this, um, on Christmas. And I'm like, oh, sweet. And then I open it up and she told me she was pregnant. So that was that's a big one. That's as good as it can get. Uh, so that was that was as cool as it can get. Had that not happened, it would have been a Nintendo in 1986, uh, like the original Nintendo, pre-Plowboy. You being alive, Nintendo. Yeah, I think. I, I don't think I had that one. I think the it had Gyromite and yep. Duck Hunt included. Duck Hunt's a good game. Yeah, uh, and that was the best. And me and my brothers went absolutely batshit. When we went down in the basement on Vienna in South City, a very small street in South City. It's only one block. That's where we lived originally, before Tam Avenue. And uh, my dad, he loved to do the, the last gift surprise play. And we, I think that was the first time we had the last gift surprise play on us, so we weren't suspecting it. And probably were already pouty and bitching. That yeah, we hadn't probably already thrown. Yeah, I was probably already. I was a terrible kid, too. I did this Bitching and thing. moaning that we didn't get a Nintendo, and then we got it. And, oh, my God, absolutely loved it. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, Anna Marie with the, uh, because I mean, we didn't think we, should, we we didn't think we could get pregnant, much less it wasn't even on the, I just remember she had not been feeling well, and then we, like, we came up to Kirkwood Brewhouse for drinks on Christmas night. It wasn't open, but I was up here with uh, my business partners and our wives just hanging out and having drinks, and then she goes, oh, maybe I'll just, I got to run into Walgreens on the way home, CVS, I guess is what it was. And I'm like, all right, no problem. Just sat in the car. And then she, and I guess what she, well, I don't guess, I now know she went in and got a pregnancy test just because she's like, there's no way I can be pregnant because we didn't think we'd get pregnant. And then for that to be the case, oh my God, it's the absolute best. Absolute. I don't know how, I don't know how that can get, I don't know how that can get topped. Uh, question here, and it's a behind the scenes question for the Plowhawk. Oh, so boy. Plowhawk, this is Plowhawk specific. What is the process for playing a drop on the Ryan Kelly morning after? Do you just have a bunch of files open and you click on the one you want to hear? I assume there are hundreds in the system, so it amazes me sometimes when they are so quick yet so fitting to the conversation. There are times when you go on some sick Stedman-like runs. Oh, stop. This is a lemming. Like the other day when Mike Lee or Big Al said something absurd and immediately the Frank opinion, okay, dropped in. Or sometimes there's a perfectly timed stingray. That's right. That's right. <laughs> They're all great. Uh, a well-placed really drop is gold. And honestly, sometimes the non-sequitur drops are two on days when Plowsy is really high. I guess I'm a drop lemming. Thank you. That comes from Ryan. There's a lot of meat in that one. Yeah, there is. Um, I don't know the process. I just, I, I love a thass rat, thass rat. I, I know what came, came out to me. He said there were hundreds. There are thousands of drops, I might add. I think there's, I think me and Seymour backed them up last time we did oh, yeah. it. Uh, I think they were close to six to eight thousand. It probably now probably closer to ten thousand. So oh there's my a, God, really? Oh yeah, because we have different drops folders. We have Larry separate, Mike Lee separate, and we have Doug separate, obviously. So I probably have about two hundred and fifty opened up at a time, but give or take, I'll open up several during the show that are topical. Uh, but we have go tos. I think the listeners are great for you can hit a drop, and if it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. And if it does, you kind of can save that for long term. The non sequiturs are my go go to. So I'm not Stedman. I'm not that genius. He would 
He has a meta game to it. He for did. Me, I don't know how he did because I hadn't said some stuff and he had a drop ready before I went there. And I, it's, it's. I think he sold his soul like David Blaine. Yeah, he he's a magician, and I can't keep, compete with that. But when Mike Lee or Big Hour on the line, you can play whatever, <laughs> and it's funny because they either stop talking or you just play it louder to play it over them. <laughs> So for me, there's not really an art form. Yes, when we're on a certain topic, I'll type in some drops like a stingray if we're on the topic. <laughs> but for me, it's knowing the drops is the key. I've, I've played these things a thousand times, so it's second nature. What is your nature. favorite drop? Ooh, um, man. And it, this is a this may be a, just a knee jerk answer here, but the sex the sexy mode drop. <laughs> Samantha has three modes, romantic, sexy, and family mode. Just the guy's voice, and you can use that on a lot of different topics. That, to me, is up there. Maybe you will make the Mount Rushmore, but I, I would have to sit down and think hard about my favorite of all time. I do love it. That's right. That's right. And that the is okay, great. The okay, the timing, the okay in and of itself is good, but the timing of the okay is what can make it. I will it. give the, my pat on the back. The first time I did use the okay, I was with Mike Lee, and it was gold. <laughs> yeah, I don't like timing, to give myself props. I mean, you have a split good. second to hit, and you hit it, and it works perfectly. I appreciate this guy. He seems oh, to be a, a big, big fan, fan of, of my work. No question. Uh, this, I liked this question. I think the answer, though, when I think about it, is obvious, but we'll see. Strictly hypothetical, which almost acquired sports franchise of the last 30-ish years would have had a bigger impact on the region, the Grizzlies, the Stallions, or the MLS franchise? For those not aware, and I know the audience is, uh, we have some younger members of the audience, the Stallions were going to be the expansion franchise, and I remember that day, uh, I don't know why, but uh, for St. Louis U High, one of our history classes, they had us go downtown to City Hall and witness a trial. And I remember the attorney in his closing argument said, on this day when St. Louis gets a football franchise, and I, I felt like he was like doing a cheap pop thing, like WWE to like <laughs> appeal to a bunch of 17-year-olds. But th that's how much of a foregone conclusion it was considered that St. Louis was going to get the franchise. And instead it went to Jacksonville, by the way. Uh, for the, the young tykes who may not be aware of the history on that. Um, so the question being, what would have had a bigger impact? The Grizzlies, the Stallions, the MLS franchise. Iggy, what do you think? Well, without a doubt, the Stallions. But if you think about it, if we would have gotten the Stallions, there wouldn't have been a Rams team. But at the same time, there wouldn't have been a cronky ownership. Right. So we probably still have a football team. Right. No matter how bad they would have been for a while. Um, you know, the Rams, they got pretty good quick. Um, whereas an expansion team, it would have taken a while, but at the same time, you'd have had a different ownership. Yeah, but group. you know what? The thing about the, the, that, and I agree with that, it, like you think about it, yeah, of course that's the case. It was four seasons. The Rams were horrible, and yet the place was still packed, 95, especially at Bush Stadium when they played those first few games at Bush yeah. Stadium. Uh, Bush Stadium 2, 95, 96, 97, 98, it was awful, but the, the, that dome was still packed. But if I'm not mistaken, both the Panthers and the Jaguars made it to the conference championships in, in like their second or third year, which was, I think your, I think your Packers beat the Panthers. And who's that guy's name? Kerry Collins. He was Penn State quarterback and he was the Panthers quarterback yep. against the Packers. And, and then I think the Jaguars got there. They didn't get to the Super Bowl. They haven't been to the Super Bowl, but somehow randomly, Mark Brunel, they got to the, they, they upset the Broncos and I think they got to the AFC championship. They had game. those two great wide receivers, Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardell. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but Iggy, overall, I would agree, usually an expansion team sucks for a while. There have been a handful of exceptions in the four major North American sports leagues. 
but I, I would agree, I would agree the answer is to me anyway obvious and that would be having the NFL team because then you wouldn't go through what we went through with the Rams if you take it back a few years before that and then obviously therefore before the Grizzlies and before the MLS thing which was just this year uh, it would have been the city and county working with the Bidwells to to never have the Cardinals leave uh, in building. A stadium, and that one I'm too young for, and I don't know how much you remember about it. Did they want to build something down? Didn't they want to build something somewhere out in the county, though? Do you remember it? And I'm sorry to put you on the spot. No, off the top of my head, I think that was it. Because um, Gene McNary and Vince Shamel. Yeah. McNary was the county executive, Shamel was the mayor, and that was like the whole thing, and they were fighting back and forth, and I don't know if like Shamel didn't want him to not move and be in the city. Um, But that, to me, was the big one, then you already had. I mean, that's the thing about this stuff. There's a lot of self-inflicted wounds on all of this, on all of it. Take your pick, by the way. If you want to go as recent as John Carlos Stanton, if you want to say that he didn't come here because he didn't want to live in St. Louis, because I truly don't believe he, it was all about winning um, when it came to St. Louis anyway. I think it might have been the case for San Francisco. Or you want to go back to the St. Louis Hawks, which predates me, but... Uh, a lot of these are self-inflicted wounds and all of the things in between. Plowhawk, do you share the opinion it would have been the expansion NFL team? I'll be the you... devil's advocate because I, I, I just think I'm looking at the trend of the NFL now, but I know it it would have moved the needle 15, 20 years ago when the Salians were supposed to be here. But for me, I think the NBA, how they market their product and the young players and the lack of injuries, major injuries to star players, and the arenas are always packed. If you even go look at a Charlotte Hornets game, the arenas are almost always packed. And even in the NFL, you have the best game of the week and you still see a lot of empty seats. So for me, a needle mover, I like the NBA's progress and how they're yeah. marketing it. I love their, I I, I absolutely love uh, everything about it. So I think the NBA, I think the Grizzlies, long term, you know, looking at it now, might have moved the needle more than an NFL franchise. Yeah, I, 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 I respectfully Hard to say it. I have to disagree, but I yeah. share your opinion. I would love, see an NBA franchise yeah. here. I would love to see an NBA franchise here. And that was a serious conversation in the early 2000s. That was a, that was a real thing. It, it was a, it was a brief real thing, but it was a real thing. Uh, and so at that point, St. Louis, which truly was, I mean, to think back that I started my TV career in St. Louis in 2000, when the blues won the president's trophy, uh, the Rams were two months removed, not even two months removed when I started from winning the Super Bowl. And the Cardinals were beginning a run that really still continues of having competitive seasons year in, year out. And that 2000 Cardinal team uh, was just full of personalities. Edmonds often says that's the funnest time he ever had playing baseball. Just with when you think about that roster uh, and who was on it. And I guess I realize most people probably don't remember who was on it, but it was obviously Edmonds, McGuire. Uh, Will Clark came along. He was certainly a personality. Uh, Eric Davis used to haze my balls off. Uh, when I was in the clubhouse and 23 years old, uh, but it was entertaining. Ann Keel had just started up. Thomas Howard was a random bench player, but he was entertaining. Dave Veers was an entertaining cat. He was the closer, um, which is kind of random that he was the closer. Who else was on that team? Morris, Matt Morris. Who were the starters on that team? Daryl Kyle, Matt Morris, Ann Keel, of course. Either way, it was just a fun group and an incredible time in St. Louis sports. Yeah, it was. I mean, everybody thinks of the sporting news cover with Pronger, Edmonds, and um, Warner, but every one of those teams was championship caliber uh, and also had some great personalities. 
And so to think now, 15, 17 years later, I guess, it's a two-sport city. And respectfully to the NHL, even though I know this will immediately lead to some form of emails, I would think people would agree that if you were to rank the popularity of sports in North America, I think everyone would acknowledge, I think that the least popular is the NHL, but I also recognize there are some blues fans who have what some Missouri fans have, which is some really hypersensitivity to anything that is not constantly lambasting praise upon the NHL or the blues. So this is not a criticism of the NHL, but the point being is the two sports we have are not the two most popular sports in North America. Uh, as far as statistics go, people may love, I, I certainly love baseball uh, way more than the average 41-year-old loves baseball. But the point being that we were that close to being a four-sport city, which I actually think probably was economically irresponsible because it's not like St. Louis was a top-10 market at the time. We were 21, just like we are 21 now. And I don't know if there would have been enough dollars, and then I would have hated to see one of them fail. Because I'm, And then some people who would be listening to this nationally would say, well, didn't the Rams fail? And I don't believe that the Rams failed. I believe that was uh, uh, Dr. Jack Kevorkian assisted suicide, so to speak. Although I also put some blame on St. Louis on, on it as well to even allow the door to get to a point where it was opened. So from that standpoint, I would have loved, I mean, my God, can you imagine Shad Khan buys the Rams? Uh, you have the Cardinals doing what the Cardinals are doing, the Blues doing what the Blues are doing, and an NBA team here. Oh, and I think that stuff matters. I do think that's, and some people might go, well, of course it matters. But I'm, I'm essentially saying that to people who aren't advocates of, of sports and communities. And I kind of feel like we have that going on right now inside City Hall. And I could be wrong, uh, but I feel like it's like we don't like sports, and so therefore we aren't going to work with sports teams. And then on the other side of it, you have sports fans, many of whom don't live inside of the city limits proper, who just love sports and then don't necessarily care about the policy and then just feel like anybody who's not on board with this passing any legislation that leads to uh, free money for the sports teams is an obstructionist. And I don't think that's true either. Um, but you, I, I think you have, in my opinion, whether it be operating a business or legislating, you have to do what you think is the greater good, even if it's not your personal taste. And I feel like that's an issue. And I feel like you might be able to look back to 1992 and the debacle with the expansion team, which started this question as infighting, and that infighting, what was it, Fran Murray, Jerry Clinton? You remember, I think Crocky was involved in that, though. He wasn't the majority, but I think he was involved in that group. He could have been one of the names that yeah, brought right. up because they were trying it was, to get— it was Fran Murray and Jerry Clinton. Then when they didn't get the, the Stallions and they got and then the Jacksonville got the Jaguars. Then, which is amazing to think, and this is kind of obscure. I bet you remember it. Uh, the Sea Monster Nick, uh, what up, y'all, who's uh, shooting this, and Plowboy might not be aware of this. Did you know that St. Louis was pursuing the Patriots— for a brief time. That I didn't See, know. Monster, you didn't know that. You did not know that, Plow? Nick, did you no. know that? You did not know that. Remember that, Iggy? Yeah. It was brief, but it was but it was James Bush Orthwine, right? Yeah. And in, uh, he was trying to move the Patriots, which is amazing to think, because at that time, the New England Patriots, I think, minus the 1985 season, where they played and just got run by the Bears in the Super Bowl in New Orleans, were just kind of this random, woebegone franchise. And now, as we talk about the New England Patriots... They are considered up there with the 70s Steelers, 80s Niners, 90s Cowboys, 
And hell, they've been doing it ever since they beat the Rams in February of 2002. Were you about to add something with a rare vocal cameo, Sea Monster? I just was going to point out that uh, there are some details on that in Bill Parcells' book that I read really? about a year and a half ago because he became the coach, uh, I believe, a short time after that, or maybe right at the beginning of that process. Huh. Can you uh, share anything that would be of note to the listeners it's, of questions from the it, audience? It's been a year and a half since I've read it, so I, I don't remember how that whole situation got resolved. Although I would highly recommend that book because really? there's some fun Was nuggets in there. Uh, it, uh, it's written, I think it's as told, one of those as told to someone else. Uh, but it is, you know, Parcells is the listed author. But there's some fun nuggets in there on how he had his own... Uh, apparel deal when he was the coach of the Patriots. He was basically whatever he would wear on the sidelines. He was selling himself. Huh. And uh, Jerry Jones still pays his phone bill. Really? Still? Still. I believe he hasn't been with the Cowboys it's for like a, a lifetime bit. phone contract. Is that right? God bless. <laughs> yeah, that Patriots thing actually was was talked about. And, and to think that the Patriots, I mean, my God. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tim McKernan Show, and uh, we certainly enjoyed bringing it to you here over the last three months. It has been fun to have the caliber of interviews and also the questions people ask for questions from the audience. And all we ask is this, please support the sponsors. When it gets down to it, it is a business, and we are lucky to have the caliber of sponsors that we have in addition to the caliber of guests that we've had. And James Carlton of the James Carlton Agency is one that I ask you to support because I know this. Everybody's got to have insurance. So if you got to do it, do it with somebody who not only is a supporter of the show, but also somebody who receives awards for the caliber of service he and his staff provide at the James Carlton Agency. James Carlton, a state farm agent. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. In fact, Go to his website right now and go check them out at carltoninsurance.net. Call James, 314-961-4800. Call James, and he very well can get you better coverage and start saving you money. In fact, he often can include $100,000 in life insurance without even increasing your payment. The switch is easy. They do all the paperwork for you. just takes one phone call or apply online at carltoninsurance.net. Not people do business with James because they like him and they trust him. He is local and he has established himself as one of the best in the business. James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent. Oh, here it is. If you could change the outcome of one sporting event, what would it be and why? How do you see the result playing out? And I have an insta call answer on this, but I will go to you boys first and see if you have plowboy years might involve like the 2005 final four, the Packers doing something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna, Iggy, what do you got? Well, I was going to say, I know I can't think of the game. There's a game where uh, it was the end of the game and uh, they scored last play of the game and all the fans ran on the field and didn't kick the extra point. And I lost a bet by a half a point. So this isn't one that's necessarily famous to anybody but you. But me. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It would be the game six of 85 series yeah i think that's i think that's where a lot of the public action will go and i think when i give you my answer i think you will change your mind but maybe i won't present a good enough case yeah first it's time for this bad moment in green bay packers history <laughs> it isn't because i've had too many great moments and i've been really spoiled as a packers fan with rogers and Favre, so i'm not going to go that route because that would really 
be nitpicking. Dee Brown and Darren Williams at the it Dome? Is, it is. I, I, I can't get past it because most of those players, I think, should have been suspended for North Carolina because of the recent, uh, remember the cla- the paper classes? Right. And I, I guess they said 13 or so, whatever. But yes, the D Brown 2005, that was a great team. just the best team I've ever watched. Watched them live a few times that was, that was at a Assembly great Hall. Team. That and comeback I, against Arizona and what, like the Sweet 16? Yeah, I guess they shouldn't have been there. That was one of the best games. But to not take home a title and then to lose Bill Self that offseason. That hurts. I thought so. I thought Weber coached that. Oh team. yeah. So he left it. So you lose the coach. Well, and now, so now I just made lost. it a less painful memory for you yeah. by letting you know that Bruce Weber was on the sidelines. Right? Yeah. He just and took then he, self team and yeah. And then him. after those recruits left, you saw what Bruce Weber did. But here is here is what I believe is the right answer because it's not just about the game, but the game itself is bad enough because the default play I would agree Iggy, is Game Six of the '85 World Series. Uh, I would say I think the date was February third, two thousand two, and it's the Rams losing, the Sea Monsters nodding. Uh, losing to the Patriots because I believe, like if I were to do the 30 for 30 that I always tweet about and is Isaac Bruce sitting right where the Plowhawk is currently sitting here in the HomeLoanExpert.com studio said to me, and I didn't realize this, somebody's already working on a greatest show on turf 30 for 30. But if I were to uh, be so fortunate as to do a 30 for 30 and do it on, I wouldn't necessarily focus on the greatest show on turf, but I already can picture how I would open it. Uh, It would just be fast paced edits some kind of uh, fast-paced music of Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner and Oz Akeem, probably that that shot from Monday Night Football where Oz Akeem and Tory Holt are like talking to each other as they run into the end zone for 40 yards, um, and then how it just ended that night. And what that what that did, I believe, was begin the process, even though it was 14 years earlier, or later, excuse me, of the Rams moving because it then compounded into all kinds of problems. And if they beat the Patriots that night in Super Bowl 36, I'm not saying they don't move, but I am saying that, let's play it out, that, of course, they have another Super Bowl. Let's start with Mike Martz. One of the best shots, it's a quick shot. I have two favorite shots from football coverage, local football coverage, um, that I can remember off the top of my head that are kind of random shots. Uh, one is Larry Smith, the Missouri coach, crying on the sidelines. And a lot of people have revisionist history on it, thinking that he was crying after Nebraska kicked the ball in that 1997 game um, to tie it. And that's not true, because that would be crying because he was sad. He was crying after Corby Jones like leapt over two Nebraska defenders and got into the end zone uh, on a play that was just kind of like that Marshawn Lynch beast mode play where he couldn't get tackled and, and got in. And that, and he was just so proud of his team, which was just like a super cool moment. Uh, and then the other one on the opposite end of the extreme, both in horrible losses for area football fans, depending on if you're a Missouri fan, I realize not everybody is, uh, is Mike Martz as he's walking across the field to shake Belichick's hand. And he like gets caught up in the rope and he like rips it up. That was the beginning of Mike Martz's implosion. And Mike Martz's implosion then compounded into distrust at Rams Park that may have existed already. Uh, and then you had warring factions at Rams Park, warring media locally where there were like agendas being advanced, depending on if you had ties to the Rams or if you were critical of the Rams and if Martz gave you access and if he didn't like you. And Martin's told the story on the air of how Martz would you be his office. He, had, he showed Martin one time, he slid out a little drawer and he goes, I know they can't lie to me and if they do... I've got this. And he would record every conversation. It became like Watergate. Uh, 
And so that began the implosion of Mike Martz. Once Mike Martz left, to think that you go from what you had, which was like this pile of cocaine of NFL football, to Scott Linehan and Steve Spagnolo and Jeff Fisher, you led to a boring, failing style of football, which then led to an empty building, which of course was compounded by the market feeling like the franchise was going to leave and didn't want to support that situation. But nationally, nobody knew about that. Few people knew about it. And so it would just show empty seats to advance a narrative of, I think, many people going, well, the Rams belong in Los Angeles and St. Louis is crappy and we don't like traveling there. So, yeah, let's get the Rams back to Los Angeles. And I firmly believe, as much as I hate the fact that the Cardinals, and I'm sure I cried because I was like eight years old when it happened, uh, the, the 85 World Series, they were back in the World Series in 87, and obviously the Cardinals are an absurdly strong franchise. That moment in New Orleans changed the trajectory of the NFL in St. Louis, and therefore, in a sense, St. Louis is just by losing that football game. And that's, again, I, I could be off the mark on it, and it might have blown up anyway because they were drafting weird players anyway. Uh, like I think I've made reference to the Trunk Candidate pick when you had Marshall Falk in his prime in the first round is nuts. You had three first-round picks in 2001, and really, none of them really, really took off. I mean, just to refresh memories, Damian Lewis, uh, Adam Archuleta, and Ryan Pickett, they weren't horrible players, but they certainly weren't, you know, players that people go, those are, you know, borderline Hall of Famers or even, you know, great Pro Bowl players, although Pickett stuck around for a while. So from that standpoint, then you drafted Robert Thomas out of UCLA in 02, uh, Jimmy Kennedy in 03, Alex Barron in 05. I mean, it just, Ty Hill, who's like my height, became a corner. I mean, it's just, you know, it was a debacle. Well, I agree that that, that would have been something that you'd want to change because you'd love to see the Rams win a Super Bowl. I think that's trying to connect a lot of dots to say that if Mars would have won that Super Bowl, he wouldn't have floated and this wouldn't have happened. And then we would have had a chain of shitty coaches. And at some point, Georgia Frontier was going to die or sell the team, and Crocky was going to be the owner. And I think even then, Crocky knew eventually I'm moving this team to Los yeah, Angeles. And it, and so when if I have you a operate chance. off that premise, I agree with you. I don't operate off that premise. I operate off that premise that they were dishonest once it became clear that St. Louis had zero interest in working with them. And that's kind of, and I know that's an unpopular opinion. That's coming from somebody who, you know, hashtags everything 30 for 30. I do, because St. Louis wasn't control of the process, even though it was a crap situation oh, yeah. because of the crap lease that they signed. Again, self-inflicted wounds. Uh, St. Louis was in control of the process. And I always go back to, it was either 2007 or 2008, and I want to get him on the show. Seamaster and I have talked about it, getting Dan Deardorff in here, not just to talk about his career as a player and a broadcaster, but he is quoted in 2007 as saying, and this is 12 years after they moved here, saying, if we don't get our act together here, this team's going to move. That was, and, and Georgia Frontier was still the owner at the time. So that, that, that I'm of the opinion that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that they were going to move. Now, there are plenty of people who share your opinion. And again, share your opinion before Stan Kroenke was even the majority. I agree with you once she passed and then they were dealing with the estate taxes that, you know, her, her family wasn't going to own it. And he would certainly exercise his right of first refusal. I agree with that. I just think St. Louis was in a position. And I, you know, I did, I talked with them off about this and I, and I asked him that question point blank and I say it, I say it sometimes on the TMA fan page. I actually do think there's a chance I'll do an interview with him. Um, 
on, on for the for this show, uh, which will be something else if it happens. But I did ask him this one of our many phone conversations. I said, honestly, I said, you guys, this is obviously before they moved because I haven't talked with them since the day they moved. I said, you guys knew you're going to move before any of this stuff. He goes, no. He goes, it's just not true. He goes, I know people think that. He goes, but it's just not true. And I go, well, look at everything that's going on. He goes, yes. He goes, but when Stan bought the team, Stan knew either he was going to get an incredible deal in St. Louis based on the terms of the lease, which would, which is a win, or he knew he, if he didn't, he would have the option to relocate the franchise. And he would only do that in a spot where it would be another incredible deal for him. So in his mind, it was a win-win. And that win, the first win, was in the form of getting an incredible deal in St. Louis and didn't get it. Now, again, that, I'm not sitting here playing Kroenke Demoff Defender. I'm just telling you what they said. So if you do operate from the perspective that they were moving no matter what, I get it. My thought process to elaborate a little bit on it is they win that Super Bowl. There's greater public equity with the team. Martz doesn't leave because even if even with the things kind of falling apart in 2005, I first off don't think they fall apart as badly because I think he kind of lost his edge. Uh, and then then you have more years of exciting football, which means more years of a non-empty dome and uh, ideally some success too. And instead he just, you know, one of the stories is he went to Hawaii, they had a planned vacation and they went there, obviously not right around the corner from anywhere. And uh, after two days of being there, he was so wrecked that he had to fly back to St. Louis and just start working on the next season. And if you do remember that 2002 season, they were just, terrible. I still really know what happened with that. Not that anybody really cares to look back on a 15-year-old bad Rams team, but that was super weird because you had the 99, 2000, 2001 were all great, and then 2003 was great, but in the middle you had this one really just crappy team. Uh, and I don't know if that, and, 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 I, and the reason I bring that up is was Martz off his game so badly, along with some of the players from the Super Bowl hangover, and you do see that happen. Like, the, look at the Falcons this year. They started out kind of off the mark, and did that carry over? And then the game they lost, which Isaac Bruce, again, sitting right where the plowhawk said, was his worst memory on a football field. And although he wasn't critical of Martz not going for it when they could have punched in and won that game, and the team he said would have won another Super Bowl, uh, he cited Jason Seahorn getting his jock strap emblazoned into the 45-yard line as the worst moment. But, um, you know, that, that was a team that was good enough to win as well, and, and Martz did something that was uncharacteristic. Uh, and I just don't know if he ever got his his fastball back, you know. They did beat the Seahawks in the playoffs last year and then got worked by the Falcons, but that was it. That was the last time you ever saw St. Louis football team in the NFL playoffs. So, like you said, I might be extrapolating way too much from the Super Bowl 36 loss, but that is... And and, and again, that's coming from the 1985 thing. And had I been older, I just didn't even... Th- I, I was thinking about this the other night, and I don't know how it was, you know, Nick is uh, shooting the video of this, and, and I know Plowboy, you and the Seamaster didn't go to school there, but... Before I got to the University of Missouri, I didn't even think anything of Kansas City. Not like, oh, I'm so good. I don't think of I just didn't even, I, like, oh, is it in Kansas or Missouri? I didn't know. I didn't care. So now 1985 is, like, worse than it was in 1985 because now I'm aware of, like, this weird thing that some people in Kansas City have with St. Louis. I can't imagine what that would have been like if I would have been in school there at that time and that, that play happened and there was no instant replay. Because the Cardinals, I do believe, win a World Series if there's instant replay. I, you know, there's one out oh, yeah, and there's nobody on and more around. You know, and there, there's a lot of things that went into that too. I mean, you there talk are, about... but it got complicated, and that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. The thing, things, you know, the trajectory then changes things, just like my March supposition. Yeah. But uh, yes, there was a. 
But then you'll have a Hill Jack Royals fan go, well, Orta was out at third base, so it didn't matter. It was a fielder's choice. So the play would have gone. To, I mean, it's it's so, you get into minutia, but yeah, you had the Jack Clark, Dale Porto, misfiled ball. Yeah, what, pass ball, wild pitch or something like that. And then obviously they were just distraught and, uh, and just got shipped in game seven, which is why the morning after Freeze's home run in 2011, somehow we had Ozzie Smith on. I mean, we had an incredible lineup that day. I remember that was just St. Louis was on the highest of highs, understandably so. We had Joe Buck on, but we had Ozzy on. And you never have somebody of his position say it. He goes, the Cardinals are going to win tonight. The Rangers are done. There's no way. And I think he was saying that from the perspective of, I was there in a game six that ripped your heart out. You don't come back from it. Yeah. And to the Rangers' credit, they actually took a lead in game seven. But then. And there's players, and I, I can't remember which player. There were players from that team that said, we had no shot the next night. Ricky Horton's told me that. Yeah, that we had no shot the next night. And he, and he, if anything, he kind of is critical of Whitey, just saying Whitey's like, well, that's it. We lost. And he said maybe he could have rallied, but hell, you remember there's that Ron Washington audio of him trying to give a pep talk to the Rangers before game seven, and that didn't help either. I think yeah. once that happens, it's just so damn tough. And that's why I always think, I remember betting on the Dodgers to win since they had game seven at home this year. That didn't work. It's just, it's, you know... But, yeah, that Game 6 thing's brutal. But I just I think for the city of St. Louis, had the Rams won the Super Bowl against the Patriots, it's a different world, as dumb as it sounds. As dumb as it sounds. So, uh, there it is. Uh, all right, there it is. Questions from the audience. Once again, more magic, great questions. Uh, and we always appreciate it as we broadcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Uh, Plowhawk, thank you, sir. I appreciate it, buddy. And Iggy, thank you, sir. Uh, and uh, we appreciate everybody to, for subscribing to the Tim McKernan Show on iTunes, Google Play, or on Stitcher. You can listen on InsideSTL.com along with the Cat Chat. Plenty of interviews with some great guests and questions from the audience segments. If you haven't listened to everything, it's there, and it's evergreen, as they say. In other words, it's not dated, so you can go and listen to Gary Pinkler, Jack Danforth, or Isaac Bruce, or Chris Kerber, and it holds up, uh, even if the interview is a few weeks old. So it's all there for you on the Tim McKernan Show. From the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.